Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Just Dr. Wang and I here with a quick word. We just wanted to acknowledge and honor the, the conclusion of this, our latest mini-series covering military medicine and neurosurgery with the special operator community. This has been such a whirlwind tour through uh, former servicemen in different branches, some with connections to medicine, some without at various different professional stages. And it's just been such a true honor, but also very interesting to hear about their experiences overseas, here domestically at home, um, either in combat settings or medical settings. It has really been a just an incredibly educational and really inspiring walk through these lives that we hear about, we see on the television, we take care of people with injuries, but hearing firsthand the experiences of, of these veterans has been really moving. Yeah, JP, I would echo your comments. And, and I would add for a lot of folks who don't know this, um, you know, when folks that are in the military or in active duty, there has been a lot of discussion about um, in the government about Navy SEALs in particular, who've been very, very vocal while they're still enlisted. And uh, unfortunately, there were a couple of folks who really wanted to come on our podcast, and they felt like they couldn't really speak freely because not because of any kind of you know, sort of suppression of their opinions, but rather because of the sensitivity of what they do. So I really do want to echo your comments and thank our guests for having come on and, and been very open about their experiences, which in some in some instances, I have to say, you know, they make it sound so casual, but really they're quite, they're quite impactful events in their lives. Yeah, I mean, there is that stereotype, if you will, of the quiet professional that the special operators kind of adhere to where they have their training, they do their work, and they try not to talk about it. And I know, Dr. Wen, we've talked a few times on the show about some of the other podcasters that we listen to who are former special operators themselves, Andy Stumpf, Jocko Willink, of course, some of the biggest names, I think, in that space. And even they will talk about how it's unusual and it's uncommon and, and really frowned upon usually in those communities to be public about the experiences and the work that these special operators do. But I think it really is a privilege for us in the civilian world to hear about the things that these people are doing in order to better appreciate the sacrifices they're making, not only with their safety at the time when they're in the field doing the work, but again, we always draw this analogy to neurosurgery, much like us, the arduous training, the amount of hours per day, days per year, and years of their lives that go into just being ready to go put their life and safety on the line to protect all of us and the rights that we enjoy every day. It really is inspiring. Yeah. And let me just draw another parallel that you, you're making me think of now, JP, is that in a similar vein, um, neurosurgeons who, and many of our friends who have taken care of royalty, uh, ath professional athletes, um, the glitterati of Hollywood or professional musical performers or billionaires, it, it, it is generally frowned upon for us as well to discuss um, our surgical or non-surgical interventions in their care. And, and certainly we could talk all day about politicians who've had various neurosurgical run-ins uh, and, and I don't want to spill the beans. I don't want to get us in trouble, but you know, those in the know understand what I'm talking about. There's a lot going on out there. And just like the professional soldiers, we're expected to maintain a level of of, uh, of discretion, right? In in terms of the sensitivity of what we're saying about people's lives and their healthcare. Yeah, and I, I think that 
you know, we talk about this a lot, but this this analogy and these parallels we draw between the special operators of neurosurgery is not only because we perform at an elite level and we're very, very, very specialized, but also because relative to other fields of medicine and within the military, relative to other branches and other groups, it's also a small community because so much is asked of a given individual within these communities. Um, and, and we offer more within a healthcare system, there are fewer neurosurgeons. And so I think any neurosurgeon you meet who's been in practice for long enough will have a story about having to take care of a friend, a family member, a loved one, a neighbor, because many neurosurgeons live in communities where there may be one neurosurgeon for an entire county or two or three neurosurgeons in an entire town. So similar to how the special operators have these stories that they may not be comfortable talking about, but they involve places and people and public figures that are names we would all recognize. I think it's a point well taken, Dr. Wang, that neurosurgeons, by the very nature of our small community, all of us will have these stories of taking care of public figures and private figures in our personal lives. Absolutely. I, I would agree 100% with what you're saying, JP. So looking forward to the rest of the year, we're about at the halfway mark uh, of this uh, 2023. I think we've gotten back to something more like a normal situation. Looking forward to more in-person recordings. Uh, looking forward to to interacting more with you in person. I know you're getting very busy. You're now, are you considered a senior resident now? Yes, I am uh, finally a senior resident. It, it's like the last four years of my life blinked by. And, and does that mean that it's it's actually harder for you to get away sometimes because you're actually more valuable, right? Right. Uh, I, I think as would be the case in most programs, but certainly at Rush now, five days a week, there's an, there's an OR that belongs to me and I to it. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, you know, I, and I, I really do want to give a shout out to Lou Toomey-Allen. Uh, having brought on a guest and, and serving now for the second time, because he's such a great speaker, as a guest host. Uh, really enjoyed uh, him engaging an individual that really has had a major, major impact uh, on on uh, the American military. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad he was able to get that gentleman on uh, for this, this, uh, this series, which you split at the very end to be sort of a like a like a capping off and the ultimate impact at the end of what the person who's actually in charge of this very early but very important and and mythical training and screening process right i i think there's no better way to conclude this exploration of special operators and the military and the intersection with medicine um i think that uh Dr. Tumi Alon, who's been on the show so many times because we love talking to him and he brings such clarity and such real authority when we're talking in this space as a surgeon himself who was in the military. No better person to conduct this interview on our behalf. And, and we are honored and grateful that he was willing to do so. And to get someone like Dana DeCoster, who used to run BUDS, as you said, the, the mythical, the horrific, if you will, course that is such a boogeyman, but such a legend among um, all military branches and even the civilian world. Everyone knows about BUDS and, and the level of grueling, difficult training that people are put through, like the fine filter of neurosurgical selection. Um, given how much we've talked about training and selection throughout the course of this podcast in general, but particularly with some of the other uh, servicemen and veterans who have been on the show for this series, 
I think there's no better way to cap off uh, this exploration of military medicine. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've really enjoyed reading a lot of the emails. Once again, if you want to email us, we're at neurosurgerypodcast at gmail.com. I've really enjoyed hearing from folks out there, uh, input, recommendations. And, and now I think, JP, I think we've accomplished uh, one of our early goals, which is we have classes of applicants coming through now who have been listening and who've, who say they're better prepared for their training um, because they've been been listening and sharing with us um, you know, their time. And again, you know, thanks to all of the great guests we've had on who've, who've shared their wisdom in this very interesting field. I think we've really reached a, a critical milestone. I think it really happened this year was when I really started to feel that impact. Right. And honestly, speaking for myself, but I'm sure you feel the same way, Dr. Wang, there's no greater honor or greater pleasure um, than to have a young person coming up in the field, not, not too far behind me, let's be honest, um, who says that they either feel better prepared or, or felt more drawn toward the field uh, because they were exposed to a conversation that you and I had with a luminary in the field. And it, it really is a privilege to expose the next generation of physicians and surgeons to these great and inspiring figures that we have the privilege to talk to. Yeah, so keep tuning in, keep emailing us. We look forward to a fantastic second half of 2023. This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. So I'm going to give you an imaginary position. Um, Organized Neurosurgery uh, has hired you to be an advisor to uh, neurosurgery. What, what, What does a Navy SEAL tell a group of neurosurgeons? You've got several hundred, if not thousand, listening to this podcast. What, what, what do we do? What do we do? For, um, we, uh, we, want to, we want to ensure our standards in the future. Because I, I, I agree, we, we've had changes. We've had the 80-hour work week that happened when I transitioned, uh, happened during my time as residency. And so now all of a sudden, um, it, people can look at neurosurgeons and say, hey, look, you know, it's a little easier. I can, hey, I can become a neurosurgeon just as easy as I can become an anesthesiologist. Uh, because I've got an 80-hour work week, I have Ali Ali Oxen free. I can't tell you how many times I, I've, I, I, when I was a resident, and just, and, and you never want to, you never want to be saying, you know, when I was a resident, but you know, I, I refuse to use the term "I'm post-call" because that, to me, was this. It, it, it I didn't want to have my name associated with. That was like a, that was like a statement of weakness. Oh, but I'm post-call. No, I'm not. What do you need? What do you need me to do? You yeah. need me to go put a line yeah. in that page. Yeah. Put an what do you need? I'm not post. What is what is post? Does that word exist? Yeah. So, um, t- talk to us about you know we're, we're we, we've got our constraints like everything and and you know I uh, we've had these conversations about how it yeah it's better and maybe it was that lending itself for the most constructive environment but has the pendulum swung too much the other way? What would what would you say? You you've been able to hold the line and you've been in combat three combat tours in Iraq. You've seen the system work. Advise us. What do we do to maintain neurosurgery standards for the future? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing I, I if I was brought into a role like that, is you need to sit back and listen, right? You don't just come in. Here's what you need to do, right? So I would want to spend some time with with your colleagues and the different kind of look at your pipeline, right? Ask questions, like trying to, you know. So so on that, I would ask, you know, not to put you on the spot. Like, I mean, do you? 
do you all have standards? Do you all have it written down? Like this is the best, besides like, hey, we're only going to work 80 hour work weeks. I mean, that sounds to be more like a, you know, Department of Labor thing, not necessarily, but again, I'm not trying to be cheeky here. I was just trying to under, point out like, do you all have standards, right? That to me doesn't, doesn't sound like a standard, right? You're only working 80 hours. That just sounds to me like, you know, Guidance. Yeah, we, we have, you know, we have the milestones. Doctor. We have the milestones yeah. that are supposed okay. to be reached at each level of residency. And, and at times okay. they're, they're, they're being, you know, like, like I said, you know, when I was asked the, a similar question by uh, JP, who is the mm -hmm. regular host, I said, hey, we, we have just like just like you guys have it's like, where do these guys come from? This guy is truly of the warrior class. But every once in a while you, you, you run into individuals you're like, hmm. It's like it, and it reminded me of you walking by that guy doing push-ups, and you kind of mumbled to me. He's like, "He's not going to make it." Um, yeah, um, I, I bet you, Mike. The biggest tell for the just to kind of put a bow on that one is because folks might be wondering, well, "How does he know?" I know when I look and I see a guy that you know they're on the grinder, they're all beat down, and he's more lo looking to the left and the right of him to see if he's on. If like, hey, I just need to look better than this person instead of like, no, one hundred ten percent. 100% of the time, right? That's the type of person we're looking for. I'm looking for that guy who's not looking to his left and right. And maybe he's so gassed that he's not able to do any push-ups, but he is still trying. He is like, I am not giving up, right? That's, so I guarantee you that person would probably, he was probably looking to left and right and to see where he could kind of throttle back, you know? Uh, and those are the folks that we don't want. And so, yeah, so, yeah, uh, with your standards and what you're doing, that's, that should be part of that. I mean, we have, we also, and I, and I won't say what they are, but we also select, we have a nine character traits that we look for as well. So you have the physical standards and buds, right? And you have, you know, you have to be able to run this fast, right? And the times get faster as you progress through training, right? Through first phase, second phase, third phase, same thing with the swim, same things with the obstacle course. But then while they're doing all those and throughout uh, other evolutions, because uh, we are teaching them the basic underwater demolition seal training, right? That's the, that's actually what BUD stands for. Uh, so there are classroom type things. Uh, we're also looking at these nine and assessing these nine character traits. You know, you know, one of them is you know team ability, right? You know, are they do they work well in a team? Um, I could see that being a, a big character trait that you would all want um, because you know when you're stepping into that operating room, yeah, the neurosurgeon, you know, he's the platoon commander. Uh, but then he has all his supporting or she has all her supporting cast around her, right? So they also need to be uh, at, at, a, at that standard, right? Or at the standard that, that their role requires. Um, and so, um, you know, with with us and, and what we do is we also have, the, you know, those other parts that we select for. And you can be dropped for not, for you know, for being like a like a not of honorable person, right? And not doing, and, and the thing is those come through peer evaluations, the instructor cadre observing. I mean, we, we are very good at reading people. I'll tell you, that's one thing that, that I feel is very good at uh, is, is being able to read, read people. If, if you know, you do your time in, in the teams and, and, or in SWIC, um, you're, you're really good <laughs> at, at reading people. So, um, you know, for us, you know, and what I would say to them is to you all, if I was there in this advisory capacity, you know, it's like, okay, understand what your standards are, understand these milestones that you're talking about. And then looking at each one of those milestones and looking at like, okay, so what, what is the, uh, what's the end state that you're looking for from, from the candidate or the resident, you know, where do you, what are, what are the core competencies that they need to be able to perform? Um, and then overlaying that with your own kind of, uh, 
mental toughness, whatever you, you know, or character trait rubric that you also want to grade to, right? Like, um, you know, I'm sure you, you want very talented surgeons, but they also have to be able to like articulate with their team and with the patient, you know, what's going on. Like they still have to be nice, right? Or uh, be able to step into that role if it's maybe not a normal thing for them. You know, you don't need some phenomenal neurosurgeon, but who is also, you know, not fun to work with, right? And kind of, you know, so uh, because part of that is, you know, the other piece is these nonverbal cues that leaders give, right? And so I'm sure you had neurosurgeons that you looked up to when you're going through and how they handle themselves, right? Those nonverbals also speaks volumes into, you know, you know, what that culture should be like, you know, to your point, like not saying things like, Hey, I'm off call or like, Hey, you got that. I mean, in the teams, if you, if anyone said that all the way up to the most senior man, I mean, they're right off the bat, their reputation starts taking hits. You know, the day that a seal, regardless how long they're in, feels like they don't have nothing to prove, right. Meaning they're not showing up for those PTs, those swims. I mean, that's the day that they need to start thinking about, uh, hanging it up because, um, yeah, you might not be as fast as you were, but you still got to get out there uh, and, uh, and, and 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 put it on the line. And that's uh, what you guys to... you guys would always say: we earn our trident every day. The only easy yes. day was yesterday. I love that. I say that to my to my kids. Go, the only easy day was yesterday. Get over there and do your push. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. And to your point about like cutting dead weight, I mean, when I when I was a platoon commander. I took over a platoon who prior to that, the two platoon commanders had been fired. So these are folks, these are SEAL officers who have already done two, you know, deployments uh, and are now platoon commanders uh, or maybe one deployment. became. But the point is they've been in the teams and they got fired because they were not holding the stand. They were not earning their trident. They were, they, they just were not performing. So, you know, that level of performance increases as you move through, just like I'm sure it does with your residents as they move through those um, those wickets or um, um, I forgot what you, you called them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, 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 we live that. And so earn your trident every day means like, hey, awesome. You did a great job last platoon. You had an amazing deployment. So what? Here yeah. we go again, right? We're doing this again. So, um, so yeah, I watched a lot of people get relieved. Uh, both senior officer, you know, officers and 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 uh, enlisted who just were not earning their their try earning their spot, right? And for us, sitting on their on their lawyers. For us, and that, I guess I guess what's that? Yeah, for I mean, for the neurosurgeon. Hey, look, we're only as good as our last case. Who who cares how good that mm-hmm. last case went? You you got another case in front of you. Game yeah, on, exactly. right? Got to go Game perfect. On. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like I said, I mean, like in the beginning, that warrior class. I mean, you're you're, I absolutely believe that your discipline as a neurosurgeon you are recruiting for a warrior class because you your folks are stepping into an arena an operating room like you have to be ready to handle anything and it should get, it should like give you goosebumps i mean i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because i'm flash forward into me like stepping into a ready room about to give like the the, the the you know the brief on like the mission we're about to do and i mean I'm just excited because I'm looking at everybody around me, my team, you'd be looking at your team and are like, all right, here we are. We are about to do what it is that we've all been trained to do and we love to do, and it is game on. And we are going to not just, you know, have a successful procedure. We're going to dominate it. We're going to crush it, right? Like we're not looking – when we go into into battle as SEALs, like I'm not looking not only to, to, to beat my enemy, I'm looking at – 
destroy them with finality. You know, like this is like this is not like okay, whew, we we won that one. No, we dominated. Like they know this was the U.S. military that did this, this to them. Like we we crushed them. Same thing in anything. Like when you're PTing and you're you know, I'm not trying to uh, showboat, but I definitely want to beat the people that I'm uh, running against. You know, like when Goggins was in my platoon, we would battle it out, right? And it was just that source of pride, knowing like okay, you know, I'm I'm going to bring it today, and he's going to bring it, uh, and here we go. Um, and so that's what should be setting your soul on fire. And I can see that's the type of folks that you need in neurosurgery are those people, right? Uh, it's not arrogance, right? It's not, but it's just that confidence, you right. know, and, and, and stepping in there and doing that, that word class. And again, you know, if you, um, you know, selective disciplines will attract the right people. So, you know, my advice again, if I was in this capacity is just to keep this as keep this the selectiveness that it needs to be i mean it needs to be that i mean neurosurgery i mean i tell folks oh i've got a really good friend who's a neurosurgeon they're like holy cow you know i mean i mean it sounds like you're landing something on the moon i mean it is pretty it's got an oppressive you know uh name right so like take advantage of that and those people will come you know you you mean like like i said earlier on i mean pro sports just look at that selective disciplines will attract the right people. And then if you have that high standard uh, and hold it and um, you'll, you'll get the right folks in. It might not, the floodgates might open, not open right off the bat, but they'll get there. And then more importantly, then they become your advocates, right? They're walking that hall in that hospital and people are like, Oh yeah, that's a neurosurgeon or that's, you know, that's on the, the, the they're in the neuro, neurosurgery department, you know? And that's kind of, you talk to folks that are, not in the seals. I mean, my wife, we were living in Cornell. She's like, oh yeah, that's a seal. That's a seal. She could totally tell just without even knowing, you know, who they were, just how they carried themselves yeah. and how they behaved. So, um, as we, and we could go on cause we could just cover yeah. topic after topic here. Um, but I do want to, we're going to wrap up here and I just, Dana, tell us what you're doing now and tell us about, um, what your experience as a seal for 20 years has, uh, parlayed into in, into your current i mean yeah tell life after the seals dana what are you doing yeah. and talk to us life. about that well yeah life after the seals so you know like i mentioned early on you know things that you, you miss when you leave service with the people that you work with and um i have been fortunate enough to one i never let being a seal define me so i maintained relationships that were outside of uh folks that were actual seals you know good relationships, long relationships, I guess you, you know, you, but, uh, being in that category as well, but, but we did deploy together. So we are, you know, brothers in arms. Um, but, um, but anyways, I have a, a really good friend, uh, who worked at WARCOM when I, so that's Naval Special Warfare Command. That's the two-star Admiral Command in charge of all the SEALs. Uh, as a, uh, engineer, she, uh, was spotting and assessing new technologies and bringing it onto the battlefield. She left government service. Uh, we stayed at stayed in touch, you know, have a great, like I said, she's one of my closest friends. And, uh, we started a company together called Roper, uh, that specializes in, uh, sensor technology, specifically off-grid sensors for communication and tracking. So sensors that don't require Wi-Fi, uh, satellite or Bluetooth, you know, to communicate. Um, and we have, uh, pun intended, we have a flagship product called Patch, stands for personal and tactical communication hardware. It looks like a flag patch. Uh, so rectangle design, it's a wearable. So you wear this on your person and you're able to share, uh, 
your location as well as send encrypted text. So everything is encrypted to the highest. Uh, so the NSA has this encryption they put out. It's called 256-bit AES encryption. Um, so we have that all wrapped into that protocol. And so uh, these the patch devices can uh, be issued as standalones, meaning, hey, I'm just going to hand this out to this person because I want to keep track of their movement, their activity level. Uh, so the patch not only tells you where that person is, but how they're doing. So it has a remote wellness check. There's a, uh, a gyroscope and accelerometer, kind of like your Apple watch. So you can tell how that person is behaving. You know, are they, is their activity level high, low, medium? Like, should they be moving when they're, when they, are they not moving when they should be moving? You know, meaning, hey, I haven't, they haven't checked in with me in an hour. Let me see where they're at in the map. Oh my gosh, they're laying down. Oh my gosh, they're laying down in a ravine. They're injured. So you can, you can, uh, be proactive instead of reactive. Um, and then um, sending those secure text messages, again, without cell coverage uh, or satellite, uh, you're able to send uh, secure text messages to the other patches that are in, the, uh, in, the, in that network. So it creates the secure ad hoc mesh network where the other patch devices are talking to each other. Uh, so we're very excited about that. And again, it goes back to, you know, when I got out of the Navy, I wanted to work with the, with the people that I respect and, you know, the right people that share my core values, share my ethos. And uh, my my business partner, uh, our lead engineer, the CEO of the company we started, her name is Maeve Garrigan. She checks all those boxes and was just lucky enough that when she was looking to, to, to do this, she's, we had been friends. She's like, hey, do you want to be swim buddies on this? And I immediately did not hesitate to say absolutely because I knew the kind of person she was. I knew the type of team that she wants to build and it fit perfectly in what, uh, what I wanted to do next. Um, and then the other part is I just really wanted to solve problems, solve real problems for real people um, and give back to, you know, because our cu- customers, you know, current customers right now, Department of Defense, uh, but also first responders and, you know, um, you know, humanitarian assistance, folks that find themselves in these remote environments where they need to stay in touch with their teams. And so for me, you know, that's the other part is, is, is still having that sense of service and serving those, those individuals with a product that actually works and, and not trying to uh, nickel and dime them. I've uh, been on that other end, you know, where this is, oh, this is proprietary. If you want this part of it, you have to pay this extra. Nope, you own the network. We're not trying to collect your data. You have all that. We're just selling the, the patch, the hardware. Um, you know, and right now we're selling them in kits of 20, uh, which fits in the line of the purchasing for the Department of Defense, first responders, because you know, they can outfit a, a, a SEAL platoon. or you know, Yeah, I mean, that, that's a, a, a unique perspective for something that you saw that would benefit your team when you were, um, when you were on active duty, a void that, that was filled with, technology that you guys have developed uh, oh yeah yeah without giving details um but there was there was this requirement and uh i uh and this is when i was the j3 so i'm the combined joint special operations task force operations officer so i had nine task force underneath me seven of them were not u.s one of them was even part of nato although they're in the news right now so maybe <laughs> but uh uh, so you couldn't share information. You couldn't give them certain devices to, to, to track, you know, because they're not, you know, you could, you know, there's there's hierarchy on how you can share information, right? Intelligence, I should say. Yeah. Um, with our five I partners, right? Australia, Australia, the UK, Canada, uh, and uh, New Zealand, right? You know, and then us would make up the, the fifth. You know, we 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 can share information easier, but the other folks we couldn't. So having to how to track them and communicate with them on the battlefield. 
was again another problem that I'd seen before. So, um, and I saw what our guys were doing to kind of alleviate that, and I loved it, right? Because they think outside the box. However, you know, hey, I don't want, I need, you know, <laughs> it's not the right way to do it. It's not secure. So, uh, so knowing that there was this requirement and still is, uh, that's kind of how the birth of Patch came along, and and that's how that was kind of what Maeve, uh she charged me with when when we we joined forces and started this company she's she had this technology that she'd really originally developed for ag use so we have a a smart smart range side use case um basically tracking beef cattle uh smart ear tag for beef cattle um and so you know it's kind of the same thing instead of hunting and tracking bad guys we're tracking beef cattle uh, but we knew there was another use case, and she's that's what she charged me with saying, "Hey, I know there's another use case for this. I knew exactly. I'm like, I know exactly what it is uh, because I'd seen it. So, uh, so here we are. So well, super look, exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, that's all the time that we have, and I can tell you that I I look forward uh, to seeing the responses of this episode. And a, a big thank you again to Mike Wang and JP Colson for for allowing me to guest host here. And Dana, thank you so much for uh, giving of your time uh, this Saturday morning. And uh, we look forward to, to having you back on the podcast again. And I cannot wait to, to have you uh, share the uh, lessons uh, a Navy SEAL can teach a neurosurgeon again in a larger form. Well, thanks, Lou. It was my pleasure. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.